How many of you remember when you first learned to drive? Anybody in here remember first learning to drive? Do you remember how exciting it was? How much fun it was? I remember for me, uh, first chance I got to drive, I got pulled over. I was about three years old, and uh, I was sitting on my dad's lap. We were in a state park in Colorado, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but it is illegal in the state of Colorado to spotlight deer. So we had this big uh, Ford custom van, you know, one of those big blue ones, looks like something the A-team would drive, and we were driving through the campsite, and we were just trying to see deer, uh, and I happened to be driving with my dad, and got pulled over, and that was my first driving lesson, and I, I just, I remember so many things about learning to drive. Years later, when I was like 10 or 12 years old, we had a deer lease, and there was this, this old pickup truck that was a standard. My dad's like, hey, if you can figure it out, you can you can drive it. Uh, the floorboard was rusted out, and he's like, you can drive it as fast as you want. It only has one gear, you know, and uh, so he'd take me out, and of course, I'd run over cactus and mesquite trees and everything, and it was, it was fun, you know, grind it till you find it. Uh, and then I remember it, 14 was like our first official driving lesson. It was a tradition in our house that when you turned 14, dad would take you to a parking lot, and he would give you your first driving lesson. And I remember the first thing my dad did, man, he knew me. He knew boys. Like, I was all boy at that age. And, man, like Ricky Bobby, I just want to go fast. And my dad pulls in, and he, he pulls all the way up to one end of the parking lot and pulls into a parking space. And we got all this parking lot behind us, and he's facing the curb. And he's, he gets out, and he says, it's your turn. So I get over there, and I get in the car, and uh, he goes, now, I want you to know, you can go as fast as you want today. I was like, awesome. And he goes, but we're only going backwards. So he had me put it in reverse, and man, I slammed on the gas. I remember the the sound of the engine in that little Ford Explorer, which I I drove for a number of years later. But man, I just remember flooring that thing, hearing it peel out, and we're going backwards as fast as we possibly can. My dad is like cool-headed. So he starts saying, stop, 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 stop. Finally, he yells, stop, and I slam on the brakes, right? And, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, and he says, get out. So we get out, and he goes, go to the back of the car. So we go back to the car, and we are literally inches from the only light pole that was in the middle of that parking lot. So that was my first lesson was, if you're going to drive backwards, you've got to watch where you're going. You know, you still got to watch where you're going. But after that, everything about driving was, was learning all the rules of the road, right? That's the main thing that you've got to learn when you're going to drive is you've got to know the rules of the road because it's, it keeps you safe. And this morning, as we continue our series in Philippians, we're going to be looking at the rules of the road. Paul has laid out in chapter 1, remember we started uh, with the ride of your life. And so in chapter 1, he's reminding the Philippians of, of how they can have joy. This, this entire letter, Paul is writing from prison. And he's encouraging the Philippians to have joy, to remember their faith in Jesus Christ, and remember their calling to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 1, he says, man, if you want to experience joy like you've never experienced it, if you want to go on this ride of your life, you will be single-minded. You'll be single-minded focused on the fact that you have been saved by Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel, and you'll be single-minded in seeing as many people as you possibly can put their trust in Jesus Christ. Like, that's what we're here for. That's why God has us on this earth. And then in chapter 2, he says, let me give you the roadmap for joy. He's like, I've told you what to do. Now let me show you how to do it. And so in chapter 2, it's all about the submissive mind. 
He says, man, you, if you're going to be doing this, if you're going to be leading people to faith in Jesus Christ, your mind has to be submissive to God. You have to put yourself under God's control. And we saw three things. He characterizes it in three ways. First, there's, uh, there's genuine humility, right? And then we want to obey. We want to pursue God's purposes uh, is, is the obedience aspect of that. And then we want to sacrificially serve God and others. So GPS, right? We, genuine humility, pursuit of God's purposes, and then we sacrificially serve others. And Paul says, look, this is the example that, that Jesus Christ, first of all, set for us. And this is the example I've set for you. And this is the example other people have set for you. Follow that example, right? You, ha- you have to have that submissive mind. And in chapter 3, what we're going to see, we're going to start, we're going to dive right in. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. And this is what Paul says. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, right? This is a man in prison, right? This is not, this is not like minimum security prison. This isn't like the prison that celebrities go to when they, when they go to prison. This is Roman prison. This is not a fun time. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think as believers, we need that encouragement often. It is so easy for us to get focused on the things that aren't going in our, right in our life. We can easily get discouraged. We can easily look around us and say, man, my job isn't working out the way I expected it to. My marriage isn't working out the way I expected it to. The stuff that before I had kids, I said, my kid will never do that are the things that my kids only do. Like, that's all they do is the stuff that I ever said they wouldn't do. My kids haven't worked out the way I planned. People are, are you know, messing me over left and right. It's easy to get discouraged, but Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And here's why. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. So here's what we have to remember. Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord. When he says that, what he's saying is that your mind, your, your thoughts should be riveted on God and his son, Jesus Christ. Like, everything you do should be focused on God. Like, if you start to get discouraged, just focus on God for a moment. I love the verses that Stephen shared a minute ago that we took the time to remember how much God had already given us. All the things that God has already given us. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, when you get discouraged, if you really want joy, you'll focus on God. You'll focus on God and what he's already done. What he's saying is, here's the rules of the road. For your safety, you need to be spiritually minded. You need to be spiritually minded. Don't let the things of this earth, don't let the things that you're facing get you down. Keep your focus on God. I'm going to skip ahead to verses 13 and 14 because he tells us exactly what that looks like. And I'm going to kind of spoil a little bit of the ending here for you. But he says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But I do one, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, here's what it looks like. I've got to remember, I've got to have that heavenward focus. And what we're going to see throughout this chapter is he's going to lay out the rules. What are the rules of the road for being spiritually minded? What are some of the rules of the road? Let's continue on. Um, Before we do that, I I just want to point out in verses 2, we're getting ready to read some verses about a group of people called the Judaizers. And actually, one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is to warn the Philippians not to follow these people because they're leading them in the wrong direction. The Judaizers were this group of people who said, if you're really going to become a Christian, 
First, you have to become Jewish and do all the Jewish stuff, and then you can put your trust in Jesus, right? Because they, they recognized, rightfully so, that, that Judaism and Christianity were not separate. Like, Christianity has its beginning uh, back in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, where Judaism would say they start or look to Abraham. That's really where Christianity starts, right? Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. And so in their mind, it, it only makes sense that you become Jewish first, meaning uh, for the men that were not born Jewish, they would have to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. And Paul says, no, look, you guys, you guys have got it all wrong. You're telling these people that they have to do all these works first and then they can come to faith. And we're going to see very clearly later, he makes it absolutely clear that our righteousness, our standing before God is all about our faith in Jesus Christ and not about our works. In fact, he goes as far as to call these people in verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil. Do evil. Like that is, he's not mincing words here. He says, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Right? So Paul is saying here, and he's going to go on and explain this further in just a minute. He says, look, these guys who, who are telling you you've got to be circumcised first, you've got to do all these other rites, when they circumcise you, they're doing nothing but mutilating the flesh. That's all they're doing. It does you absolutely no good. And he's actually using a word that would be, would be uh, reminiscent, would remind them of the, the people who were cultist, the people who worshipped the pagan gods who would cut themselves thinking that their gods would hear, and he's saying it's, it's that useless. Like, those gods don't even really exist. And what you're doing is useless if you're putting your confidence in the flesh. And he says that true worship, he says that we worship God. We're the true circumcision, right? Remember, Abraham, this is the sign that was given to Abraham of his covenant. And what does the Old Testament tell us of Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was credited him to righteousness. Right? It doesn't say Abraham did this, or Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, or Abraham circumcised himself, or Abraham offered this sacrifice and was declared righteous. No. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him to righteousness. So Paul says we are the true circumcision because, because of our faith. Like that is the reality. That is what matters, is faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, he says, we who worship God by, spirit, uh, by the Spirit of God. So think back to Jesus' words. True worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. True worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. Man, as I read these verses this week, it just made me think how much of what passes for religion today is stuff that's done in the flesh. I mean, how many times do we, do we look at... at you know, we read authors and, and we, we hear sermons and people are saying, man, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and then God will be pleased with you. But what comes across so abundantly clear over and over again in Scripture, Old and New Testament, is that what pleases God is our faith. In fact, it says it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible. But don't think for a minute that Paul is saying, okay, all these things don't matter. You just go do whatever you want. In fact, he's written many, many other letters to correct that way of thinking. What we do does matter, but what we have to understand is that we don't do the things that God calls us to do. We don't obey God to earn his favor. 
We'll see this a little bit further in, in just a minute. Let's go on. And what, what we're going to see in these next verses, verses 4 through 6, is this is what I call Paul's resume of righteousness. He's taken a minute and he's, he says, look, guys, you want to talk about righteousness before man? Here's my resume. You want to talk about anybody who could have earned their way to heaven? Here's my resume. But by the way, here's the results that I found later on. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. He says, I myself has, have reason for such confidence. If anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, it's me, Paul. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. So even from my birth, I fulfilled the law. Like I had no choice in it, but my parents made sure I fulfilled the law. And he says, uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, God's chosen nation. Like this is not something I could control. This is something God did in me. I was born chosen nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. One of only two tribes that was loyal to God's plans and purposes when the kingdom split. Right? So even then, of the tribe of Benjamin, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What he means here is there were a lot of Jewish people living under Roman rule that just adopted Roman customs. Paul says, not me. Man, I clung to my Jewishness. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he goes on. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Not only did I know the law, I made it my job to be sure that I fulfilled the law every day and to also make sure that everyone else fulfilled the law every day. Like that was his job. He was a lawyer. And then he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, anyone who came along that offered anything different than what the Old Testament said, or at least the way I interpreted it, I'd make sure that they were going to get it right. Going as far, even he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He, he was there. He held their coats while they stoned this man for his faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, for, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. As far as everyone else around me could tell, I was perfect. Not breaking the law. And this is what he says in regard to all that. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, we'll come back to that word, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. Paul is making it absolutely clear that, man, we can strive to do all these good things. And if anybody could have possibly earned their way to heaven, it was Paul. But he says, when I look back at my life and I look at these things, I realize that I'm not good enough. And that something else needed to happen. And that something else was Jesus Christ. Here's what we learn from this. We learn that as Christians, it's important that we check our rearview mirror. Right? We, we need to look at what's behind us. And what Paul is talking about here is, is in the life of believers, he's saying it's important that you look in your rearview mirror, you see all that stuff, and that you also recognize that all of that stuff, both good and bad, like, was it good that Paul was striving to uphold the law? Like, was that a good thing? Absolutely. Was it good that, that his parents made sure that he knew the law? Absolutely. But was it so good that he persecuted the church and was responsible for putting people in jail and their deaths and murders? No, not at all. And he could have dwelled in the past. He could have said, man, 
all, I can't imagine, you know, being responsible for the death of other believers. I mean, now I'm just going to sit in my house and wallow in self-pity because of my past, because I'm such a horrible person. But he doesn't do that. He says all of this past stuff, the good and bad, is overshadowed by the fact that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. So we check our rearview mirror. And we look back and we say, has there been a point in my life when I put my trust in Jesus Christ? Can I say right now, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ? And here's the thing. You may look back. You may not be able to point to a day or a time or anything like that. But you look back and you're like, yeah, that's what I believe. I don't know where it was, but somewhere along the way, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I love using the illustration of going on a, on a car ride, especially since we're talking about joyride. Like if we're going to Louisiana and you fall asleep, you know, we're, we're going to get some good old crawfish. You fall asleep on the car ride there and we wake up in New Orleans. You see the sign that says New Orleans. You know you're in Louisiana, but you have no idea how far back it was that you crossed that line, the state line between Texas and Louisiana. All you know is, man, I'm in Louisiana now. And sometimes that's the way it is with our faith. Sometimes we look back and we're like, okay, I don't know when I got here exactly, but I'm here. And I sure am glad that I hear. I'm here. And all that stuff in my past, good and bad, is overshadowed by the fact that I have my faith in Jesus Christ. We want to check our rearview mirror. But here's the thing. If you're using your rearview mirror to drive by, man, you're headed in the wrong direction. You can't dwell there. You can't dwell on your past. Paul's encouraging his, his friends, the believers in, in Philippi. He says, look back. Look back. See it. Recognize it, good and bad. And then say, okay, all of this is overshadowed by my faith in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we as believers look back is, is simply this. Whether you are young or old, there was a time in your life that you did not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And what I think Paul is doing here, he's looking back on all this good and bad stuff that he's done, and it's a reminder to him of his helplessness. I mean, that moment that he encountered Jesus Christ for the first time, he probably understood how helpless he was, how, how pointless all the stuff that he had been trying to do to earn God, God's favor was. And think back to that time in your life. How, how depressing would it be to not have that confidence that when you stand before God, he's going to say, come on in because you are covered by my son, Jesus Christ. How difficult would it be to face some of the things that you have to face if you didn't have faith in Jesus Christ? How much of a struggle would it be to, to think about things, to go through a rough marriage, uh, to be fighting with your husband and wife and, and not know that in the end I'm going to stand before God and be welcome to heaven because of my faith in Jesus Christ, or that my kids may go and take a left turn when they should have gone right, but that's okay because it's still not easy, but my faith is in Jesus Christ, and in the end it's going to be okay. And so he's looking back on this, and I really feel like, like it's that moment, putting himself in someone else's shoes and how they might feel apart from Christ that motivates him to get out there and share the gospel. It emboldens him to go out and share the gospel even more because he doesn't want people to be in that position. He doesn't want people wondering about their future. You know, last week, uh, many of you guys had already taken off after the baptism. We had a great baptism uh, with Erin Hart, and she has a beautiful story of how she came to, to faith in Jesus Christ and what God has done in her life since then. Um, I wish everyone could hear that story over and over again. Someone who was literally blind and had their sight restored. 
by the power of God. Doctors couldn't help her. In fact, the doctors didn't even know how to explain what happened. I mean, that is the power of God. But after, after we had that celebration, we had like half a cake left. And so I was walking around trying to give away this cake to people. And everybody, of course, they're like, no, dude, it's swimsuit season. I can't eat cake. But I found these young guys that are 30, probably in their early 30s. And I just walked over and said, hey, you guys want this cake? Enjoy it. And they said, yeah, man, we'll, we'll take it. And they said, what was this for, a birthday party? And I said, well, actually, it was for a baptism. And one of the guy goes, guys, his name's Jeff, looks at me, and he goes, who did the baptizing? I was like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm a little anxious here. He goes, was it you? And I said, well, yes, you know, it was me. He goes, would you baptize me? Right there on the spot. And I said, well, first tell me why you want to be baptized. And he says, look, I was born into a Catholic family. I got baptized as a baby, but... Uh, when I got older, I put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I've never followed him in baptism. I want to be baptized as an adult believer. Would you do it? And I said, yeah, come on. So we gathered everybody that was left from River Rock, and a couple of his friends came over. Other people that were just there came, and, and I said, so why don't you tell us a little bit of your testimony? And he's like, are you sure? And at that point, I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But he gives this beautiful testimony about his past and how God had made himself so real to him. He goes, God is more real to me than this water right here. And he splashes water up in the real. He says, God made himself more real to me than anything else I've ever experienced. And that's why I'm following him in baptism today. Because he had experienced that very real life change. So he looks back and he realizes, man, God is enough for me. It was, it was awesome. It was the highlight of my week, maybe the highlight of my year so far to encounter this young man. Man, it was, it was awesome. He knows that what counts is his faith in Jesus Christ, and that gives him such confidence, such confidence. Um, Paul says in verse 10, he starts to transition from our past life, checking our rearview mirror, to our present life, right? So Paul says, man, we can't just live in the past. We've got to check that rearview mirror, just like when you're driving. You check it every once in a while, but you don't use it to drive by, right? You check it, and then you get you focus your attention somewhere else. And Paul says, now we need to pay attention to what's going on around us. He says, be aware of your surroundings is what we're going to see in this next section. Verse 10, he's transitioning from talking about our salvation to talking about our sanctification, the present life of all believers. And sanctification is a big word. This is all it means. Sanctification means becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's as simple as it is, right? We get saved. We got junk in our life. God saves us in spite of that junk. And then it's all about a journey. We go on a journey with him to become more and more like him. And this is what Paul says about that. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So very clear what Paul is saying here. He's not saying I'm trying to earn my resurrection from the dead. I've already got it. He says I need to live up to what's coming. I need to live up to the salvation that God has already given me. That's my goal. And I do that by knowing Jesus Christ more and more and following him closer and closer every single day. He says, not that I've obtained all this, not that I've already obtained all this, or that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining toward it, what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not there yet. 
as, as much as I tried to live out the law and as, as you know, everyone else would look at me and say I was perfect, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I need to keep pressing on. Every single one of us as believers, we need to keep pressing on. We need to keep growing. He says, not that I'm already perfect, not that I already am mature, but I am maturing. Do you see the difference? And you know what? I got to tell you, I would be extremely skeptical of anybody who tells you I've arrived spiritually. Like anybody who says, you know what? I'm there. Come follow me. Because that's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. They were telling people, hey, we've got it all figured out. You just come and you follow us instead of this guy, Paul, and you'll be okay. And Paul says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Even as much as I've done spiritually, I haven't arrived. I keep pressing on. And so as Christians, we need to, we need to look at our lives, and we need to ask ourselves, am I moving forward? Am I moving forward? Am I taking next steps to become more and more like Jesus Christ so that we can attain to what is already ours? You know, I think about that phrase, and I think about how Paul says this, that I want to attain to the salvation that God has already given me, to the resurrection. I think of it like this. You know, I have a couple titles in my life, pastor, I'm a somebody's son, I'm a brother, but two of the titles that I get most excited about are, are husband and daddy. Like, those are titles that I have, just by the nature of, of a relationship. But every single day, I strive to live up to those titles. Because to me, those are big titles. They mean something. And especially with, with daddy, having a little girl and another one on the way, man, I know that my daughter is looking to me, and it ties right in with husband. She's looking to me. And the way that I treat her mom, the way that I treat my wife, because someday when she's looking for a spouse, when she's looking for a husband, What's she going to have modeled for her? What kind of husband is she going to look for? Man, it's my prayer that what she'll look for is someone who's like her daddy and that I will have set a good example. It's my prayer that my boys, when they begin dating, when they begin, you know, realizing what girls really are, uh, that they would say, I see what daddy did and I'm going to do that. And that would bring them to the right kind of woman that they could marry. That's That's a big burden. It's not that I've arrived. But these are the titles that I seek to live up to. There's a high standard, and I want to live up to those titles. The same way that my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm already saved. If something were to happen, if I were to walk out in that street and get hit by a car, I know where I'm going. But every minute of every day, I'm striving to live up to that. Like, live up to what I've already earned. That's what Paul says. He says, be aware of your surroundings. What's going on around you? Are you moving forward in your faith? He says this, he says, one thing I do, one thing I do, one thing, I'm single-minded, one thing I do, Paul's mind is set on heaven. Paul's mind is set on heaven, not on earth. Too many of us as believers, we get so focused on the things of this earth, we live a divided life. We try to live with with half of our mind in heaven and the other half focused on things of this earth. We start looking around and we say, man, I need that promotion. Man, I need more money. Man, I need, I need to do this. I need more of this. My kids need more of this. I need to do more of this. And we lose focus. Paul says, my mind is completely set on heaven. 
what are the things that are going to please God? I have that spiritual mind. He enjoys the things of this world, but he remembers what's coming. He remembers what's coming. How many of us get ambitious for things on earth? How many times do we forget our high calling, our heavenly calling, that we're going to pass from this world? We have a prize that we're straining for, right? That prize that Paul's talking about is not our salvation. That's our experience in heaven, what we're going to experience when we stand before Jesus Christ. Like, is he going to say, man, you did a great job, or is he going to look at this and say, man, you could have done better? I hope he says, welcome, good and faithful servant. I hope he's got more good things to say than bad. You know, as we talk about this, really what we're talking about is stewardship of our life. Are we stewarding our lives in a way, are we pointing every resource of our lives in a way, using it in such a way that would point more people towards God, that would be preparing us more and more for that day that we would be going on in our faith? You know, this year we set stewardship as kind of our theme for the year, and, and really this is what Paul's talking about. Are we being good stewards of our current life? The sanctification process, and it's a process. It takes time. Everybody matures at a different rate. And there are some people who've been believers for 30 years, and they're still babies, spiritually. They're still babies. And there's some people who've been believers for two years that know more scripture than even your pastor knows. And they can quote more scripture than me and they, they, they are living up to their salvation. Man, people just, they mature at different rates. That's why at River Rock we're so much about next steps. And nobody's expecting you to be here when you're down here. We just want to see you go from level 10 to level, level 11. Like just keep taking those next little steps. Just small steps. Small steps. Take your next step. What is your next step? Let's, let's go on because Paul has already started to transition from the present to where he's really going, spiritually minded, the future. Right? We want to look to our future, and this is the rule for the road. You've got to keep your eyes on the road ahead. Like everything that they tell you when you go to learn how to drive, what do they keep your eyes on the road? Keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the road. Don't take your eyes off the road, right? That's why texting is so dangerous. Like texting and driving. It's bad because why? Your eyes are off what? Your eyes are off the road. They're on your phone. Like put your phone in your pocket and focus on the road and we'll all get there safely. And here's what Paul says, starting in verse 17. He says, um, go back to verse 16. He says, only live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my examples, brother. What's the example? Go back to chapter 2, right? He's humble. He's obedient to God, and he's sacrificially serving others. Follow that example. He says, join with others in following my example, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Again, that pattern is what he set back in chapter 2, the pattern that was set by Jesus Christ himself. For as I've often told you, told you before and now say again even with tears many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ uh, I think there's, there's two possibilities of what Paul's talking about here I think the, the most obvious is that he's talking about people who don't know Jesus Christ that are persecuting the church and he says it breaks my heart that these people do not know Jesus Christ and here's why 
He says, for their, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Paul says their destiny is destruction. In the end, they're going to be separated from God. And he says their God is their stomach. What's he saying? He's saying, man, they're just living for the things of this world. Their appetites are only set on fleshly stuff. If we were going to put it simply, sex, money, and power. That's all these people care about, and that's all they're striving for. Man, as believers, are, are we striving to be different from that? When the world around us is pursuing those things, are we striving to be different from that because of what we know our future is? And he says, last thing, he says, their glory is in their shame. The very things that they should be ashamed of, they take pride in doing. That's the first group. That's the unbelievers who don't know Jesus Christ, and he weeps for them. But I also think there's, a, there's I think this applies to people who do know Jesus Christ, but they don't have that spiritual mind. They have faith in Jesus Christ, yet they've gotten so focused on the things of earth, not on the things of heaven, that their God is their stomach. We know that their end is not destruction because they have their faith in Jesus Christ, but their God is their stomach, and the very things that they should be ashamed of are the things that they take pride in. Where are you this morning? Are you one of those people that, that maybe has gotten off the path a little bit? You've forgotten to keep your eyes on the road ahead? Man, get your eyes back on the road ahead. Verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Again, we talked about this in chapter 1 in the introduction that the Philippians, these were uh, Roman citizens who were living in Rome, and Caesar says, go live in Philippi to, be colon- to colonize Philippi. You don't have a choice. You go. And he says, but since we're displacing you, since this is an inconvenience, you get to keep your Roman citizenship. So even though you don't live in Rome, you get to keep the same benefits of being a citizen that you would have in Rome over in Philippi. Like, you don't have to live by the same laws that the rest of the non-Roman world has to live by. You get to live by these laws that we have in Rome. That was a a privilege. And so when Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven, man, that would have resonated with them, that they would have understood that, okay, the laws of Macedonia around us don't apply to us, the laws of Rome do. What Paul is saying is that the laws of this earth don't apply to you, the laws of heaven do. Keep your mind in heaven. Where's your mind this morning? Where's your mind been the past few weeks? Are you focused on the spiritual things? Are you focused on eternity? Are you focused on the things of this earth? Man, I I just want to encourage us to to obey the rules of the road. We check our mirrors, look back and, and realize what God has already done in our lives, our salvation, but that we would also pay attention to what's going on around us. That, that we would be aware of our surroundings, that we are in a journey where God is drawing us closer to himself, that our sanctification, and that we would look forward and live in such a way that we could live up to what's coming, which is Christ's return and our glorification. We are going to receive new bodies, and this is what excites me the most. We're going to get new bodies that... Man, I'm 30 years old, 32 years old now, and when I got out of bed this morning, it sounded like someone was stepping on bubble wrap. And I'm only 32. Like, I don't know what's coming in the next 40 years, but I'm not looking forward to this body deteriorating any more than it already has. 
But when we get our new bodies, when we're taken up to heaven with God, we have glorified bodies that will not have the same, uh, they won't experience sickness or falling apart or death or anything like that because they'll have been new glorified bodies. Man, that to me is, is something to look forward to and to get excited about. But I want to ask you this morning, and if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, it starts there. If you look in your rearview mirror and you don't see Jesus covering all that stuff behind you, that's where you need to start. Start with your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Or are you still trying to rely on your good works? Paul says they're rubbish. That word that he used there is not a very nice word. Um, it refers to doo-doo, excrement, right? He says, man, I don't want to even step in it. They're worthless. What matters is faith. If you're a believer, are you driving by your rearview mirror? Are you stuck in the past? And let Jesus Christ overshadow those things so that you can pay attention to what's going on around you. Are you taking next steps? Are you going forward in your walk with him? Looking forward to the future, keeping your eyes on the road ahead.